0: Please join me in a word of prayer. Lord, as I think about how you opened the minds of your disciples to understand the Scriptures, I pray that you would again do that for us, that we might understand what it is that you are doing in our world, what discipleship looks like and the ways that you're building your church. Lord, would you help me now as I preach? I ask it in your mighty name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we're starting a new preaching series this morning, and um, I want to start by thinking about one of the cruelest forms of punishment, solitary confinement. If you are a fan of movies that involve prisons, there are plenty of them out there. A couple that come to mind, one is Cool Hand Luke. Uh, great movie where Paul Newman has a problem with authority and as a result he keeps being put in solitary confinement. Each time he stands up to authority he ends up in the box. Another one is The Great Escape with Steve McQueen. He keeps trying to escape from this prison while a bigger escape is being planned and every time he gets caught they throw him in the box, solitary confinement. And then of course Shawshank Redemption with Tim Robbins, when he finds somebody that can actually get him a new trial, the warden suppresses that and throws Tim in the hole for 30 days. And when he speaks up, it becomes 60 days. And after he's been in there 60 days in a dark room by himself, no interaction with people, they open the door and the light comes in. He just looks half human. It's just so bad. And the reason is because God created us for relationships. He made us for community. We thrive when we're in God-centered community, and we wither when we're alone. This isn't just an extrovert-introvert thing. Introverts need community as much as extroverts. We were made that way. And part of the call to discipleship that we'll be looking at is the blessing of learning from each other, learning how to follow God in community. The word disciple literally means learner in the original language. And discipleship is the process of becoming learners together. So this call to discipleship is actually a gift from God to us because not only does it help the people that might be the student in the moment, even the one who is in the role of sharing gets something back. We learn about how God works in our world by how the gospel goes from one person to another, oftentimes through us, through individuals. Now, this new series is picking up language from our vision statement. As a church, we are extending grace, discipling generations, four words. That's our vision. Extending grace was our focus leading up to Easter. And on this side of the Easter celebration, we're looking at discipling generations and what that means. Now, there's a picture that's the new um, icon picture for our sermon series, and that's two men sitting at a, uh, looks like on an outdoor uh, table, maybe at a coffee shop or somewhere, a restaurant, and the uh, older man is asking questions about faith, and the younger man, who's a believer, is telling him the good news. Now, I'm making that up. I don't actually know who those people are. I just really like the picture, and I like to reverse the gender or the ages on that and suggest that maybe the younger guy has been walking with the Lord for 20 years and the older guy is not yet a believer. Or maybe the older guy is saying, hey, listen, Sonny, I might be old, but I've got truth for you, and he's sharing the gospel with him. I don't know. But I really like that picture because faith is always passed from one person to another person. Any one of you in here that is a believer can right now think of at least one, if not multiple people that God used to bring you to faith. Very few, if any, had Jesus directly disciple you himself. He always works through people. Who are those people? Think about that for a minute. Now, Christianity is meant to be, a, it's a personal thing. It's personal, your relationship with the living God, but it shouldn't be private. A lot of my experience in the church growing up was that your faith was kept private, it was rude to talk about it out in public places. And I think that is a, a gross misunderstanding of what Jesus would have for us. He expects us to be his witnesses. A witness is not just somebody who's seen something, but somebody who then stands up and gives testimony. I have seen the Lord. Let me tell you about this life in Christ that I have found. That's what a witness does. And so it's, it's personal, but it's never meant to be private. It's meant to be shared. But we have to recognize something that we take for granted here. Christian community is not a sure thing. There are many people that are lacking for a community of faith to be part of. Consider this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote a little book called Life Together. It came out of some work that he did when he went back into Nazi Germany and secretly began to lead a seminary of men being called into ministry. Of course, this was against the Nazi government and he was in there with this little community for a season and having a sweet time of fellowship as they learned from one another and as he led this seminary. And he wrote this little work called Life Together, and he said this, it is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands, all stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing, is a blessing. Somebody I talked to recently said, we love our church here, but we don't like Florida. We want to we move somewhere else, but we can't walk away from this church. The only thing keeping them in Florida is, is this church. And I praise God for that. I don't want them to leave. But they recognize the church and the fellowship is a gift from God and they might not find that where they wanna go. In fact, where they wanna go is up in New England and there's a good chance they won't find it up there uh, because the numbers show that it's, it's very minimal Christian presence up there in these days. But Christian community is a gift when we have it. And Bonhoeffer, not long after that, would be arrested. He'd be put into the Tegel um, military prison and um, he was so full of life and the Lord, and he was known as a pastor, a Christian minister, that some of the guards who were sympathizers secretly would smuggle him into a different cell so that he could come and share a word of hope and good news to people that were despairing. People that had been put in prison by the Nazis were despairing, and he was able to go into their cell and encourage them that you might be in here trapped, but the Lord is not he's not out there. He's in here with you. And he would bring the good news to them and encourage them. It was one of, one of his ministries. He ended up uh, dying for his faith. He was, he was um, arrested for his part in a conspiracy to remove Hitler, and it didn't work. It was a failed conspiracy, and he ended up being arrested. But he found these despairing people in this prison where he was for 18 months and was encouraging them, sharing the gospel with them in the hope of the resurrection. But you don't have to go to a prison to find despairing people that are in isolation. They're all over the place. You know them. They're in your lives. They're in your neighborhoods, at your workplaces, some in your families. There are people that need good news. And if you're a believer, you have it. You actually have good news. Now, some people this morning really need a word of good news. You need to hear the gospel this morning. And where are you gonna hear it? Somebody has the good news. Many in here do. I want to encourage you to share the good news with those that need the encouragement of it. Not just the pastor in the pulpit, but person to person, sharing the faith. I have a friend, Mrs. C, who's done youth ministry for years as a volunteer, and she would take a couple of girls out for a cup of coffee or whatever, or dessert or something, and she resolved early on to not talk just about superficial things. She made sure every time they met, she had a word of encouragement from the gospel. She would take them into the Bible and say, here is the Lord. Consider what he's doing in your life. And it would encourage them with that. She was passing on good news. She was being a witness for Christ. She would tell them some of what he is doing in her life. Many people came to faith through Mrs. C, and she's still serving in this way. Now, I imagine for most of you, you're familiar with the Great Commission from Matthew 28, but you might not have ever thought about the fact that all four Gospels, not just Matthew, but Mark, Luke, and John, have a commission at the end of them where the gospel has recorded some of Jesus' words to his disciples before he ascended to heaven. In Matthew 28, you're familiar, it's the most famous. It's the one where he says explicitly, "'Make disciples.'" That's where where the church universal gets its marching orders. That is the mission of any faithful church, to make disciples. But he says it in different ways in the other gospels. We just heard from Luke's gospel where he says, you're my witnesses. You are supposed to be witnesses, which means to give a testimony of what you have seen. Now, my preaching text for today is actually from Acts. So if you want to turn to page 913, we're going to look at the start of the early church right after the resurrection. Page 913 is Acts chapter 5. It's verse 14 in there that in particular caught my attention. We're going to be in Acts for these next six weeks looking at how God advanced his church right after Jesus' cross and resurrection. And it was verse 14 that caught my attention because it says, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. More than ever, multitudes. Those are big words. The Lord is the one who was adding, by the way. And here it's in the passive voice. The, the believers were added. Who did the adding? Well, if you look back to chapter 2, 3, and 4, it was the Lord. The Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. The Lord was doing this. So he was bringing people, which makes me think, and I've been asking this question of myself, I've wondered for a long time now, what if God suddenly wanted to bring 100 or 200 people to this church all at once? Would we be ready for that? Would we be prepared to integrate them into the community, to disciple them? What if they were brand new believers that all gave their life to Christ and were here? My main premise this morning, my main purpose of this, my one-sentence sermon, if you will, is this. Jesus adds people where discipleship occurs. I think the Lord is looking for those who are able to help another person along and willing to do it. That's why the Lord was bringing people into this this situation in Acts. And hear me on this. More people is a mess. It's work. It messes up the status quo. They sit in your seat, and they change the dynamic of your small group, and they they make church take longer because communion goes slower or whatever. If you want to see an example of it, just look at chapter 6. It says, now in those days when the disciples were increasing in numbers, a complaint, dot, dot, dot a complaint came out. They had more people, and now they weren't caring for the widows like they had been. There was a neglect happening, so they had to ordain a whole bunch of deacons to oversee that. They had to change their structure and their system of how they were serving people. This is the result of growth. So, I want us to recognize that the Lord is the one who wants to grow, and He calls us to help by making disciples. That's our part. Now, what is it that they came for in Acts chapter 5? Look first of all at verse 12. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. So they're in the holy city in Jerusalem. They were there. This is right after Pentecost. So they were full of the Holy Spirit, and God was anointing them. There were healings. There were deliverances. The Holy Spirit was moving powerfully, and people saw that. Last week for Easter, I talked about one of the powerful assurances of the resurrection is that lives actually are transformed, that God does change people's lives. And I can name a half a dozen or more of you just recently that through simply the prayer ministry in here in church have had an experience of the living God, some through physical healing, others through specific circumstances lining up in their life. I had a man uh, just after nine o'clock this morning, tears in his eyes telling me how he said, I went to prayer because you asked some of us to go to prayer extra. You know, during Lent, I was just kind of obeying. I didn't expect God was gonna answer those prayers in such a way. He was blown away. It was the power of God moving in his life. So they were recognizing God's presence and power. Now, I'm not saying I'm gonna put people out in the shadow of you so that when your shadow falls on them, they're healed. Like what Peter was doing here, although it's not beyond the Lord to do that again. It's certainly possible. But specifically here, the Lord was validating the witness of the apostles by giving these signs and wonders. But he still heals today. He is still at work. We pray in faith expecting similar things. There's nowhere in the Bible that says all that stuff stopped. It didn't. God's power is still at work in the world. And we come in faith expecting that. And people were being added because they saw the power of God. Not only that, but people were being added because they recognized the authenticity of the leaders here. In this this passage, look at verse 13. It says, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. They held them in high esteem because they were authentic. Because they had been with Jesus, their message was consistent. Keep in mind, this is Peter who denied Jesus three times, but then was reinstated. He was humbled by that experience. It wasn't that he was perfect. He certainly wasn't perfect here but he was consistent. He wasn't a hypocrite. He was a sinner saved by the grace of God and God was using him. And now they were afraid because of the signs and wonders to draw near and be part of the apostles, but they held them in high esteem. They were authentic. They were real. And that's attractive. That's one of the ways that God brings people. And that's one of the ways discipleship happens. Think in your own life if you're a believer. It's probably an authentic believer that came alongside you or that you saw and you went, They're not just telling me stuff. They're actually living this. This is true in their life. It's changing them. God's power is there, and they're the real deal. They're far from perfect, but they're the real deal. That made you want to come in. I can name mine. I suspect if you're a Christian, you can name some as well. Not only that, though, look at verse 20. In verse 20, the angel says, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And in ESV, they capitalize L. A specific kind of life, the Christ life, the life of the resurrection. Now, understand what happened here. Let me fill you in with the backstory. They were proclaiming the gospel, and the leaders were getting jealous, and so they had them all arrested and thrown in prison. And it's just, that's what's got me thinking about prisons and then jails and solitary confinement and stuff this morning. They were in jail. There were guards outside, and in the middle of the night, angels came and sprung them free. And I don't know why the guards didn't know this was going on, but then they left the prison all locked up, and the guards are standing there, you know, with their swords and spears or whatever, and the religious leaders go to get their prisoners. They open the doors, and nobody's in there. How awesome is that? I mean, there's a sense of humor to this in the Bible, if you recognize it, but they're not in there, and they're perplexed. They don't don't know what happened until a report comes, and and it says, hey, those people you locked up, they're in the temple teaching again, even though you told them not to. And they say, you tell us, is it right for us to obey man or obey God? Rhetorical question, the answer is God, we're going to obey God. In other words, your word is contrary to God's word and we're going with him. But the angel had given them a a, a charge, keep teaching, go back into the temple and keep teaching, teaching about this life. I love that expression. What is this life? What are we talking about here? What is the message? Well, back to Luke's commission, when Luke spoke to these guys in in Luke 24, he told them this. He said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Repentance and forgiveness. This life is the result of forgiveness. If you think of forgiveness as something that will get you into heaven one day, my sins are forgiven, therefore I get to go to heaven, you're missing this life. This life is about a relationship now. So think about uh, in your life, if there is a conflict with someone, it tends to separate you. But when forgiveness happens, you're reconciled. The forgiveness that Jesus has won for us meant that we're reconciled with him. That we can walk with god in this life the invitation is into is into a new kind of life and they're saying go and tell people about this and not just you guys go and tell but church today we are called to go and tell to share people share this good news with people it restores this relationship now when we're talking about discipling generations that's those who are younger that's those who are newer I don't know which one, I don't, you know, the old guy could be the Christian, the young guy could be the Christian. One of them is definitely older in the flesh, but one of them might be older in the spirit. And I don't know which one it is, but we're called to go and share the faith, to bring people along. Intentionally, we're an intergenerational church. We recognize, I recognize that the gospel could be gone from this land in one generation. That's all it takes. Just simply look at Europe. You stop passing the gospel on to those younger, and it will disappear They won't know what to even tell their kids, and it'll become a pagan land. It won't be Christian anymore. Jesus expects us to share the faith, person to person. My friend Tom was out at Fuller Seminary in California, and he met a classmate of his from Ethiopia. And this guy's testimony was this. He, he didn't know a single Christian. He'd never even heard of Christ or Christianity or the Bible or Jesus, any of the stuff we take for granted in this country. He'd never heard of any of it. He was walking across a field and Jesus came to him in a vision, like he saw him somehow in the spirit. And Jesus said, I'm Jesus. And you need to go to that other town and ask for the minister, the Christian pastor that's there. Now, why didn't Jesus just tell him the good news right there? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. But he didn't, and he doesn't. Even with Paul, the apostle, Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus, and he sends him to a guy named Ananias to have Ananias minister to him. I don't know why this is the case, but it is the case. God chooses to share his message through people, through you and me. One beggar who's found some bread going and telling another beggar where to find it. That's how he works. That's the deal. So Jesus is building his church this way. Matthew 16 says, Jesus says, I will build my church. So he wants to add numbers. He died for the whole world, not just some. He's patient, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to salvation. He's doing that. He also promises to be with us. So the great commission from Matthew uh, 28, at the very end of it, he says, and behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. So he doesn't just say, you guys go do it, and I'm going to take a rest over here. Oh, He's in the midst of it. He's with us the whole way. He's preparing people. He's helping us share. He's giving us personal experiences in our relationship with Him so we have things to tell. We are witnesses to something that is real. That's good news. And Jesus adds people where discipleship occurs. So here's what I want. This is the application. Here's what I want for you, for me, for our church. Let's increase our intentionality. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not sure yet if you want to call yourself a Christian, you're still seeking, questioning, you're checking this thing out, I want to encourage you to increase your intentionality as well. I want to invite you to be bold and honest in your questions of Christians you know. That might be some people sitting here. Go ask them, tell me about this life that the pastor was talking about. What is that? What does it mean for you? Those of you that are Christians, get ready. Because if they come to you with a bold and honest question, all you have to do is tell them what Jesus means to you and how you experience him. So I want to encourage you to actually do that. Second thing is if, if you are a believer, if you're a Christian in here, I want you to pay attention to those that God has already placed in your path. One, if you're in a family, if you have kids, your primary job is to be the one who disciples them. So yes, we have great children's ministry and great youth ministry in the church, but those are just supplements the primary place for discipleship is in the home, that parents are charged from the old days, from Deuteronomy 6, the Old Testament, the parents are charged with telling the next generation about the gospel, about Jesus. Tell your kids. Make it explicit. Don't keep your faith private. It's personal. Don't make it private. Tell them. Share. Open the scriptures to them. Make your home a Christ-centered home. Don't just outsource it to the specialists at the church. The children's ministry and the youth ministry, their job is to help you do your job. So your family is your primary place. And grandparents, sometimes you have to jump over your own kids and disciple your grandkids. Be bold with that. Go for it. Tell them why you're a Christian. Kids, sometimes you need to push uphill and encourage your parents. Disciple your family. Share the faith with your parents if they don't know the Lord yet. Also, Look for the person of peace or the people of peace in your life. I preached on this, I don't know, a while back. A person of peace is what Jesus taught his disciples to look for. A person of peace welcomes you, they listen to you, and they serve you. Don't try and share with people that God isn't preparing you to share with. Just look for those people of peace. One of the things that I'm doing now is I'm starting a list for the fall for Alpha. We're going to do a 3 for 30 campaign again. We're going to pray for people to invite into Alpha so they can, they can experience Christ even now, start doing the early work. Don't wait till the last day. You can't do a three for 30 campaign on day 29. If you procrastinate on this, you miss it. When Dan and I start announcing Alpha, if you go, oh, I got to find some people, you're not paying attention. The intentionality of discipleship means look around. Right now, there are people that are hungry. The Lord is building His church and He's putting them in, in your life. Just look for the people that welcome you. They, they accept you. They, 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 they generally are... They smile at you. Let's be simple about it. They listen to what you have to share. They care about your story. They are interested in your life, and they serve you in some way. It might be as simple as sharing their lunch with you or whatever. Look for those people of peace. God is preparing them. He's putting them in your life. Disciple them. Give testimony and witness to them. That's a way to be intentional. Even now, start saying, hey, this fall, come September, we're doing this thing called Alpha. Love to have you come with me start talking it up, start sharing. Let's add intentionality because Jesus adds people where discipleship occurs. We're going to keep looking at discipleship in the next couple of weeks and try and get our heads wrapped around it. But let's now pray for the Lord's help in this work. Lord, it's humbling to think that you use us for your kingdom. I don't know why you've decided to do that, but I'm grateful for it. It's a great honor. I pray for Grace Anglican Church that you would make us bold in doing so, that you'd give us the courage like the man born blind in John's gospel who just was blind, met you, and told others. Make it, make it like that for us. Help us to experience you and want to tell other people about it. And I pray that our church would be the kind of place that you can entrust those that you are bringing into your kingdom to. We'd love to see that happen, Lord, and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.